Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Every Christmas, or almost every Christmas, I return to the significance of the angelic announcement of the birth of Christ, and I'm going to do that again today, uh, maybe from a little bit different angle and a somewhat abbreviated form. First, what I want to do is address something that, while I won't necessarily say it's harmful or heretical or sinful, it's something that I find irritating. And it's this, uh, you remember, maybe you remember, it's, I can't remember how many weeks or even months it's been, I was kind of railing against these people, it's these armchair scholars who, uh, you know, maybe they read a verse in context for the first time, or they hear one of their favorite preachers say something, and they start going off on somebody's favorite scripture, you know, uh, and they'll say, well, that's, that's not what it means. You know, exhibit A is probably, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, every other athlete, every other Christian athlete's got that, you know, printed on his face or his helmet or his shoe or something like that. And people just love pointing out that that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul wasn't saying you can be all, anything you want to be. He was talking about the ability to endure lack and suffering and uh, privations, imprisonment even. He was not saying God would make you a great football player. But I counter with this, that the universal truth that Paul was proclaiming is that we can indeed do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The only limiting factor in that truth is taking into account the whole counsel of, if you're taking into account the whole counsel of Scripture, is are we doing what God has called us to do? If he calls me, he will equip me. He called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles, so Paul knew he could do whatever, endure whatever happened to him in fulfilling that call. Whatever he's called you to do, whatever he's placed, uh, placed on your heart, even given you the opportunity to do, you can do through Christ who strengthens you. Does that scripture mean that God will make you a great football player? No. But does it include that if God has put you in a position, given you the gifts and talents and the opportunity? Yeah, it does. All right? It's just kind of a snooty thing to say. Another one, of course, is I know the plans that I have for you, right? Always a big one at graduation. Plans to give you a, a to, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Uh, and so we, we get a lot of uh, graduation cards with this because we're talking about the future of, uh, of these kids as they move on to the next phase of their life, and then people jump in and say, that's not what that's about. God is preparing his people to go into captivity in Babylon, and he's reassuring them that after 70 years, he's going to bring them out and uh, that, he's, that he hasn't forgotten them. But when I have read that, when I've heard somebody say that, I've actually had this conversation. When I say that, do you believe God has a plan for you? Yes. Do you believe God has a plan for every Christian? Yes. Is it a good plan? Yes. Is it a plan to bless you or to harm you? To bless me. Is it a plan to give me a hope in the future? Yes. Then this verse applies. God was speaking a truth over his people in a particular situation, but the truth he was speaking applies to us too. And then, of course, the biggie. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. 
And people will say, but this was just God speaking to Solomon about Israel, where the temple was. And I think it's just clearly beyond ridiculous to think that that doesn't apply to us, the current living temple of God. Amen? It is in the same spirit, though, that people question the propriety of celebrating Christmas. And I'm seeing more of that this year than I've ever seen. There's no evidence that the early church did anything like a Christmas celebration. So why do we do it? There's nothing in the Bible about it. Why should we do it? Is it wrong to do it? And then especially when you factor in all of the pagan origins and all the, tra- oh boy, the Christmas tree, you know, that's something. And they'll, they'll point to all this stuff and, and what the, uh, you know, the, the winter solstice celebration and this sort of, uh, all these ties to these earthly and demonic religions. I'll come back to that. I'll address that here in just a minute or less. Uh, but let me, let me ask this first. Did, is there any evidence that the early church celebrated Easter? Do we have any Easter celebrations or Resurrection Day celebrations in the early church? Uh, I guess you could say, uh, kind of, that what they, one, one of the big changes they made was instead of meeting at the synagogue on the Sabbath, they began to gather on the first day of the week because that was the Lord's Day, the day he rose from the dead. So in a sense, every time they gathered on, uh, on Sunday, they were celebrating the resurrection. But they probably did, uh, because of its uh, significance and its uh, connection to Passover, they probably did celebrate the resurrection. Again, I don't see any Easter parties or specific Easter services in the New Testament. But it certainly doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, my contention is that certain traditions in the church simply developed slowly over the course of years and even centuries. And that just because there's no scriptural mandate or even a specific record of the early church doing it, that doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean we can't and it doesn't mean we shouldn't. Likewise, I'm not saying it's wrong not to celebrate, celebrate Christmas in the traditional sense. And you can say Christianity is all about the death and resurrection of Christ. His birth is just something that had to happen first. Well, sorry. very quickly, let me just acknowledge, uh, again, back to the, the pagan roots of this. I, I, I'm not going to go into that. I, I did write an essay that included some remarks about that that I'll make available to anybody who wants to see it. Uh, what I just want to say about that is at the end of the day, the date of his actual birth is pretty much irrelevant. And even if it was nowhere near December 25th, I believe Christmas being about the birth of Christ is one of the great examples of something pagan being utterly redeemed. We move from this pagan celebration to celebrating something that really did happen. And this, this was essentially it. You did have a very big feast uh, uh, focused on the winter solstice. You know, the return of long days. Um, and it was, it did, there was a lot of stuff tied up with earth worship and sun worship. Uh, and the early church fathers, uh, as these people began to be converted, didn't want to take this big celebration away, but they could not countenance its pagan roots. So they said, let's continue to celebrate, but let's celebrate Christ's birth. 
what I love about it is we don't know. I've seen somebody actually make a case for his birth being around that time. Can't prove it. But at least it's, it's nice to know it's a possibility. In fact, is we don't know when it was exactly. Uh, but what we do know is this. It really did happen. And it was a big deal. And it was worth celebrating. So let's take this big holiday, turn it into a celebration of Christ's birth, which again really happened. And that's the difference between Christmas and Halloween. They tried to redeem uh, another pagan holiday and replaced it with something that didn't have any scriptural roots or scriptural truth behind it. But Christmas does. And, uh, and to see it turned into something that is, that, that should, and again, I understand now we swung back to sort of uh, a pagan celebration. It's all about the lights and the bells and Santa Claus and sleighs and all this other stuff. And where's Jesus in that mix? And yet I still can't help but kind of laugh, the insiders laugh when I see the, the, the celebrations, the lights, the sales, the closings, everything that is associated with Christmas, no matter what they call it, it still goes back to the birth of Christ. It's like you can change uh, B.C. to B.C.E. You know what I'm talking about? We used to divide uh, history into B.C. and A.D. before Christ and in the year of our Lord, and now it's B.C.E. and C.E. Uh, before common era and current era. Uh, okay, so you took Christ's birth technically out of the equation, but you didn't change the dates. What's significant about that division? The birth of Christ. I love it. Can't get away from it. He's the pivot point of history. But back to this question about how biblical it is to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I agree the truth of the gospel rests on the resurrection. The resurrection is the sine qua non. It is that without which there is no Christianity. But if you read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, you're going to see something very interesting in every account. In every account, there's at least one angel. In some accounts, uh, I forget which ones, they, uh, they, they give into a little more detail and, and specify that there were two. But these angels are there. They are encountered. They speak to the women. What are you doing here? Why do you seek him here? He is not here. He is risen. And there's something, when I read it, I can't read it any other way than very low key. It's all, well, in fact, one of the things I love about these passages is they're so matter-of-fact. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Go back and read all four accounts of this. Didn't he tell you he was going to rise from the dead? Didn't he even tell you how long it would be between his death and his rising? If he did, why are you here in the grave looking for him? Isn't it cool? That's cool. But that's the angelic announcement of his resurrection. But look at Luke chapter 2. First, let's remember, because this is what gets me every time, the waiting. We have the Old Testament record, and there's so much wrapped up into it, but woven through all of it is the prophecy, the reassurance that God is going to set everything right with his Messiah. The Christ will be born. And he will redeem, he will rescue, he will forgive, he will save. He will deliver you. A Savior is coming. Now again, 
I always want to point this out too. God had sent saviors before, but I always say they were saviors with a small s. The judges, the kings, uh, the power prophets. They were sent into certain times in Israel's history uh, to deliver them from an earthly enemy. But God promised a capital S Savior who would save his people once and for all. The Lord's Christ, the Anointed One. They knew, the Jews knew, that this was their hope, their ultimate hope. They had all this precious history of God working in their lives, in the lives of their ancestors, and they had this promise. That promise for centuries was essentially one day, someday, the Savior is coming. Christ the Lord is coming. So, Joseph and Mary traveled to Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem for a census. And while they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. She wraps him in swaddling cloths, lays him in a manger, and we pick it up in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's not a Savior, it's Christ the Lord. And it's not someday, it's this day. This is such a powerful proclamation. And if you think there is anything casual or matter-of-fact, or laid back about this announcement, we read on. Verse 12, And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, it said in verse 9 that the angel stood among them, the first angel that, that came and made the proclamation. And then it said the heavenly hosts were there with the angel. I think sometimes in paintings or video depictions of this or in our imagination when we read it, we picture the shepherds standing on a hill, perhaps with one angel, and then the clouds part, and we see the heavenly hosts up there singing, playing instruments, whatever, and everything's just kind of lit up. Oh! And they're singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. No, they're, 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 maybe they weren't even singing. It doesn't specify that they were singing, but they were glorifying God and praising him. But it was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel who was with the shepherds. Suddenly they were surrounded by a multitude of angels. Doing what? Celebrating the birth of Christ. Do you see how huge this is? We didn't see a multitude of angels on the earth celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Certainly worth celebrating though, huh? I guess all I'm saying is if, the, if a multitude of angels can celebrate the birth of Christ on earth, we certainly can. I think we certainly should. The shepherds, let's go check this out. They told us what we'd find. Let's go see if we find it. 
what they saw was unremarkable by itself. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby, but this sight, the following verses tell us, caused them to make widely known what they had been told. They told it to Mary and Joseph, but also made it widely known. Then, sorry, they, they returned then and glorified and praised God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. What caused them to make this widely known, again, is not what they saw. Man, woman, baby. I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe it was a little bit unusual to see them see the baby in a manger, but I don't think it was one of the, you wouldn't believe what we saw. Not just from seeing the man, the woman, and the baby, but what caused them to make it widely known was that what they saw was exactly what the angel told them they would see. When you get a word from God, when you see something in the word of God, and then you find out that it's just as God says it is, something about that makes you, or ought to make you, want to shout it from the rooftops. And I believe this is what his word does. I read his word and I find out that it tells me about me. And I know it's true. It tells me about you. It tells you about you. And I find out all the things that I'm fighting, the things I'm struggling with, are due to exactly what God said all along they were due to. Not my enemies, but my sin. But taste and see that the Lord is good. We find out that we do have, there, there is an enemy of our soul. We find out that God is not our enemy. That God has good plans for us. And we begin to trust him. We taste, we see that he is good, just as the Bible says he is. Again, he said my problem is not my enemies. My problem is not the government, it's not disease, it's not poverty. My problem is me. And when I say my problem is my sin, I don't mean that every bad thing that happens to me happens because of something bad I did. I'm talking about the sin nature that infects the world. The sin, my problem as a sinner was my sin. And as soon as I can see that, that I'm a sinner, just like God said I was, because if I'm honest, that's not hard to see, I can then believe him when he says there is only one fix. There's only one solution. If a person opens the word of God and reads it honestly and finds out, wow, so this is why my life is so messed up. It's not my boss's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not uh, the government's fault. It's not some other country's fault. It's because of sin. And just like everybody else, I'm a sinner. And suddenly it makes sense. Then what a relief it is to be reading the same book and find out that God has given us a way out of sin. A way to be redeemed, delivered, forgiven of our sin. What's that solution? What's that fix? One Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, 
the world was pretty messed up at the moment of Christ's birth. I was reading just yesterday about a uh, massacre in Myanmar. I don't know if anybody caught that. It was a headline for probably an hour. You know how quickly everything changes. 20 or 30 uh, families, mostly, actually in this case, mostly women and children, were killed by uh, the military. Random act of violence. Their bodies were burned Christmas Eve. And that's just one tiny little piece of the evil that we are surrounded by in this world. Why am I bringing that up? Because there are some who say, do we really have any business celebrating? Singing our happy little songs when there's so much garbage going on. I want you to remember that that the world really was messed up at the moment of Christ's birth. You know, a couple years later, the the Magi, astrologers who probably came from Babylon, traveled nearly a month to Jerusalem just to see he who was born king of the Jews. And their arrival and their inquiries got Herod so uptight that he sent soldiers to kill all of the male babies in Bethlehem. It wasn't a huge town. I don't know how many died. Does the Bible say how many died? Historically, they tell us there's anywhere from 20 to 40. But that's a tragedy, and that happened specifically because Jesus was born. People were suffering all over the world. Israel was suffering greatly under Roman rule. And nothing along those lines have changed. There has always been great tragedy, great suffering. People here at home are railing against social injustice. The suffering many Americans are enduring, and this suffering is taking place a hundredfold in other parts of the world. Violence to a degree it's, it's not even proper to talk about in church, or at least it makes me very uncomfortable to talk about in church. Wars, extreme poverty, random violence, senseless evil, and we want to sing joy to the world? Is that proper? You better believe it is. I agree, many traditional Christmas songs, I don't mean Christmas like we sing Christmas songs, I mean the secular Christmas songs. They're all, they're celebrating our comfort, they're celebrating the things that personally we enjoy, happiness, there might be even a selfish uh, strain to many of them. I mean, people literally starving and dying and Other people are singing, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Anybody know that song besides me? Anybody remember that song? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. How dare you sing about wanting a hippopotamus when people are starving in the world? But again, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas is not what the angels were singing if they were singing. They praised and glorified God. They celebrated, and their announcement was not simply celebratory, although it certainly was that. It was a declaration. Here was the good news. Here's why we should sing joy to the world. It's because there's an announcement that rescue has come. Deliverance has come. A Savior has come. The fix has come. 
The solution has arrived. Oh, man. You know, there's a wonderful scene. I don't know how many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia. But there's a wonderful scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where, you know, the land has been under a curse and all the inhabitants of the land, the citizens of Narnia, have been under a curse. This eternal winter, the White Witch, or whatever she's called, has just kept everybody in this depressed, frozen state. But Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus Christ, who represents the Creator God, uh, everybody's wondering, you know, there's just these whispers about him and there's this scene where it's, it's said this, Aslan is on the move and perhaps has already landed. And even if you know nothing about, about anything, if this is the first time you're reading the story, you get goosebumps reading this because you know something is about to change. Jesus, and praise and worship team, you could be making your way up here. The announcement was simply this. He was, he was a baby. He was just born, and a multitude of the heavenly hosts join the shepherds on this hillside to glorify God. Glory to God in the highest. This is, these are tidings of great joy for all men. What was, the, what was the announcement? He's born. Just born. Nothing in their lives was going to change for a while, was it? He didn't start his ministry for 30 years. He didn't accomplish his mission for another three and a half years after that. And yet they celebrated the moment of his birth. Today, when we celebrate the moment of his birth, we are doing it when he has not only been born, not only arrived, but he has accomplished his mission. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended and given gifts to men. We have the Holy Spirit and power because of what he did back then. And it is certainly appropriate to say joy to the world glory to god in the highest thank you for the gift of jesus if his birth was such a great announcement and a cause for celebration how much greater should our celebration be today you know i mentioned during the offering that one of the traditions most people cling to and practice during Christmas is the giving of gifts. And as believers, we believe we're doing that as a reflection or as a demonstration of the great gift, the greatest gift that God gave us. And it's easy to get a little bit too wrapped up into buying the perfect gift for someone, and sometimes we stress over the expense. And I'm just going to share something with you. And this is, this is one of those things that as a pastor, sometimes I, I hesitate you know, how much do I share with you guys? You know, how, how personal can I get? What are you going to think of me? But I'm just going to be honest with you. There were a couple of uh, moments, conversations I had with my wife back in the last few weeks where I was a little bit up, up, upset with uh, the kids about something or one kid or the other about something. I won't say which one it was because we, we've had reasons to be uptight with both of them. Does it bother you that I have had... Uh, Issues with my kids. Has anybody ever been uptight with their children? Has anybody ever had an unpleasant conversation with their children? <laughs> okay. So anyway, but it was so, I was so up, uptight in this, this in one particular conversation. I, I was the one that said this. It wasn't Beth. She's sweeter than I am and more godly. But I said, why are we even getting them anything for Christmas? 
They don't appreciate it. And I'm not sure they deserve it. Is that more or less what I said? Why spend this money? I'm spending it to make them happy. I want to hear their thanks. And they're acting like this. They don't deserve it. Why do it? And oh my goodness. Maybe we'll do that for their birthday. But not Christmas. Because that's exactly what God did. He gave the greatest gift. He gave himself, he gave his son, he gave his all to who? To a world that absolutely didn't deserve it. To a world of ungrateful, insulting, Godless, sinful people. Remember, there were Jews, there were among his people those who were actively looking for the Messiah. Most of Israel wasn't, and certainly the rest of the world wasn't. But who was this angelic announcement? Who was, who was the good news for? All the people. This, the birth of Jesus was good news for all of mankind. How did mankind respond in the day? They killed him. They murdered him. They rose from the dead and stands before us today making the same offer. There's one solution. There's one fix. There's one rescue. There's one deliverer. And he was given 2,000 years ago. What are you going to do with that gift? I'm not asking you what are you going to do to deserve that gift. I think we've made it clear. We can't. We don't. We never will deserve it. But he makes the offer anyway. God the Father says, here's the gift. My son. Receive him and you will receive forgiveness from your sin and deliverance from the curse of the law that sin brings on you. Receive him, and you receive an eternal home in my presence. Reject him, and you reject everything. You lose everything. No matter what small comforts you find here during your short life on earth, you will be the loser for eternity if you reject the gift. I understand it might be a harder decision if he was saying, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because you have to earn this gift and not everybody's going to make it, but you need to pour your heart into this and you need to uh, uh, suffer, give up everything because this is the one gift worth attaining. But that's not it. There's some, there, there are challenges, don't get me wrong. There are demands in Christianity, but not to get the gift. The gift is given. Jesus is given. Salvation is free. What are you going to do with that gift? Stand up with me. Smallish crowd, I know. It's Christmas. Some people are traveling. Some people are still being careful about COVID or whatever. 
But I never want to assume, just because it's a sea of familiar faces, that everybody has made that decision or everybody has made the right decision yet. All I'm asking you today is, will you receive that gift if you haven't already? It's not the whole of my salvation theology or yours. Most of you know there is salvation and there is lordship. There is no salvation without lordship. But I'm offering it to you today. I'm asking you to focus on the salvation, to receive the gift of Jesus. And I trust God enough to know that he'll reveal his lordship to you and your need to make him lord as well. But will you confess him as the lord? Will you confess him as your lord? I'm not sure I'm ready to live like that. He'll make you ready. I just need you to see that you need a savior. I need you to receive the gift. Is there anybody who wants to make that decision today? Scott, I don't know what's in it for me, but I do know I need a savior. I'm willing to acknowledge that much. I'm willing to receive salvation. And I'm willing to trust God with the rest. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the prophecies. Thank you for the promises that your people were able to stand on for so long without losing hope and for bringing your promises to pass. Father, we here at Living World, just the Living Word, want to pray for the world right now who has not yet seen Jesus for who he is. That you would open their eyes. That people to look past the pettiness of those who rail against you and rage against you and shake their fists. And draw them to the truth of your word and the reality of who you are, who Jesus is. Father, fill us afresh with your spirit so that they can see Jesus in us more and more clearly every day. Jerk the slack out of us, Lord, and remind us that ultimately that's what we're about during our time here. We're thankful for your blessings. We're thankful for your generosity in our lives, but never let us forget that what we are here for while we remain is to introduce people to you, introduce people to the greatest gift, to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in here who needs to make that decision, that you would grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to make it today while there is time. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Bless us and reveal yourself to us in new ways as we continue to celebrate your birth this week in Jesus' name. Amen. One last time. Anybody want to pray that prayer today? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.